Howdy guys, welcome back after an incredibly long hiatus, I do apologise, too. So how did I get here with me, Sam Lax? And in this episode, I was incredibly lucky to uh, have a good old knees up with a friend that I've got to know through working in the video biz, director of photography, DJ, music producer, editor, creator extraordinaire, Arlen Figgis. Now I'll give you a little spiel about him to whet your appetite for the episode. Growing up in an incredibly creative household and leaving school at the age of 16 to pursue DJing and rave culture during the birth of the drum and bass scene, it was clear that Arlen was never going to have a boring life. Since his early days DJing at Cool FM, he's filmed years of Gumball 3000 with the likes of Dirty Sanchez and Tony Hawk to name a few. He toured Europe making cult skate film Zoot Circus and even built a stage that now tours UK music festivals like Latitude, Boomtown and Bestival. So it's no surprise that Arlen had more than a few stories to share when I joined him in his incredible self-built studio at his house in North London. So, let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us in what I can only describe as recording mecca of this incredible space. Not that anyone can see it bar Arlen myself. And I'm sitting opposite the man, the myth, the legend. DP extraordinaire musician, score composer, photographer, director. Ah, oh, stop, stop, stop. Wonderful man, <laughs> creator, fabricator, I make stuff. DJ. I make stuff. He makes stuff. And modest man, Arlen Figgis. Mate, thank you so much for joining me. Not a problem. How are you, Sam? Mate, I'm bloody good. I'm good, bloody good. Yeah, nice to have you up here, man. Because it's, uh, like you say, it is a bit of a little, uh, people call it a man cave. It's definitely a bit of an audio nirvana in here. Like I... It's nice when people actually see it because you can see it in a picture. Hundred um, percent. But 100%. the whole point of this place is so people walk in and go, "Wow, I'd actually like to sit down and make something here." A bit, a bit of music, woodwork, film, what have you, or just chill and drink tea. It really is not. It's yeah, it's nice to have. That's the whole point of me building it was for people to come round. So cool. and that has obviously been cut down a little lately. So yeah, well, I mean, you can check out. I'll put it in the show notes so you can see photos of the studio that we're sitting in, but. Give it. Give us a little description and tell us the origin story. Let's start with this. Okay. Well, it's in North London, and what was here before was just a falling down uh, garage, car garage. Um, and me and my family live here, and I was, you know, we'll sort of uh, deep dive a little more into music and whatnot. But I was making music for years in a bedroom, like lots of people. <laughs> And decided I wanted something a little more permanent and something a little more you could walk into and not feel cramped or claustrophobic when making music and get a vibe, you know, because that's really important. You know, I do a lot of work where it is just work by numbers. You know, you can mm. turn it on, film, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, go mm -hmm. home, switch it off. Music, you need to kind of really be in a mindset. I can't, I find it really hard to just switch the computer on and make music. I have to sort of contemplate life <laughs> for a bit and this really speeds up that process because as soon as you come in the door it feels fairly like it it, it uh it promotes creativity that sounds yeah. a bit poncy but it's no, like no, I, you know, can, it's, I can vouch for that having walked in today myself yeah. like it's so, and it was it, it kind of in a weird way it combines two of my favorite things which is physically making things out of wood found objects build technology mm -hmm. 
And it took me seven years to build from the scratch, you know, from the ground up with a friend who is a builder. Mm. I don't profess to be a builder. So I learned a lot in the process. And it took seven years because I kept running out of money to build it. Mm -hmm. And then we'd mm -hmm. be off working, doing something else, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, come back, do a bit more. Another wall would go up. Mm. And I drove the, my builder mate mad because he was like, oh, mate, just let's build it, you know, like you would a shed. And I was like, yeah, that's cool, but it's not going to be soundproof, you know. So mm. we really <laughs> got into the physics of sound waves and how that works. And I won't bore everyone with the physics, but essentially it makes it 10 times more expensive and long to build a structure yeah. when yeah, you're yeah, yeah. dealing with sound not wanting to come in and sound not wanting to leave you know so i can i don't wake my neighbors up at four in the morning um with baseline yeah right so yeah it took long story short it took a long time a lot of effort and money but i think it's worth it because i walk in and it's like wow it actually feels surreal still to walk in here and it's not a building site mm. um how long ago was it finished sorry how long has it been in uh, this it's state? been operational for about well we're 2021 now and it was came online about 2018 something like that so i've had three or four years in here and it still feels a little weird it being finished and credit to my builder friend there's not been a single issue build wise you know which is amazing no leaky roofs no electrical problems mm -hmm. it all works as it should and i think we'll be here long after i'm gone do yeah. you know what i mean yeah, so yeah, yeah and my two kids are definitely getting into as I did with my dad, mm -hmm. got, got in uh, getting into music production and mm -hmm. filmmaking and whatnot. So hopefully it will be a sort of uh, an oasis for them as well. Yeah, wicked, stuff. man. Now that's a perfect segue talking about your dad there. I want to know the origin of your, your you know, you're bursting with creativity. Like it says on your website, you're a force to be reckoned with. And I can concur. I've had the pleasure and privilege of working <laughs> I didn't write that coffee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mate. Honestly, I had to do it recently when I joined yeah, uh, the horrible. radio station. It's like, can you talk about your third person? And as if you're blowing God. smoke up your own ass. Like, so oh, come hideous. on, please, it's please, so please. hideous. That's, I just get other people to write it yeah. and then don't look and then yeah. go, is it all right? Yeah, and sort of wince when I read it. But yeah, yeah you oh, have mate, to do it's it. got to be done. It's all par for the course. But yeah, yeah, yeah. where did the creative juices, uh, you know, or seeds, where were they sown? You know, yeah. you talk about your dad, famous uh, filmmaker, Mike Figgis. I just found out literally on the tube up here right. that he directed one of like my favorite all-time movies with Nick Cage yeah, in yeah, Las yeah, Vegas. Yeah. Like yeah, such yeah. a powerful movie that, I mean. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an awesome movie and he is, uh, he is a total dude and a, and a really good mate as mm. well as a dad. And I mean, that's a huge thing to say about a parent in the first place. Like a lot of people have that distance, you have the hierarchy and stuff mm. like that. So to be able to say a proper mate is he, he, Yeah, definitely. And not to discount my mum from this as well. No, you know, like not. she, where we live is an art centre and her mum before her ran it and her mum's husband was a collector of art and stuff and it's basically a museum here so i think that side fed into my love of finding things and making things and uh historical methods of making stuff out of wood bit basic whatever you know and then yeah. and just growing up in a really sort of i don't know artistic environment really it can't help but rub off do you know what i mean of course, um, of course, yeah but at the same time, I was a bit of a tearaway as a kid and sort of as all kids rebelled from that and went much more towards kind of 
music, youth culture, DJing. Well, I mean, we'll get onto that later. Mm, do you know what I mean? Mm, but mm. Uh, as a, as from a tiny age, like one of the, my earliest memories is sitting with my dad in his studio mm. and cutting up reels of tape, you know, cause he was a bit of a mad scientist before he made films. He, uh, was in the theater and then he made, he used to design sound and just I'd walk in and he'd have these reel to reel tape machines and he didn't have samplers. So he'd have loops of tape running around biscuit tins around the studio and then a microphone underwater, you know, like, but that all seemed perfectly normal to me, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't until I sort of went to, cause I went to all the local schools here and you know, other people's dads weren't as wacky. I was like, Oh, maybe he is a bit wacky, but that's cool. You know, I like that. And I just, I grew up, making music cutting up tapes like i said um mucking around with cameras all that sort of stuff so i guess as in if your dad was a baker a carpenter cab driver whatever a lot of the time you tend to sort of look to your parents as a well you don't even it's just a natural progression you sort of uh follow in their footsteps and so uh i guess by the time i was so I was doing that up until, well, like I say, bit of a wayward youth, but great fun, brilliant. Um, and then sort of left that alone and, and concentrated more on DJing and mm. was super into urban music, like just still to this day, I have a number one love for jungle music. And yeah. You told me just as we walked in, like the history of uh, Utah jazz, like, Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of people that, you know, it's life is a funny old game, man. All these people you meet form Mm. you as a person and probably, yeah, your biggest influences are probably your parents, but then it's Mm -hmm. all these kind of satellite people you come into contact with. Mm. And um, yeah, um, I mean, that's jumping forward quite a long way. Well, actually, no, it's not. Yeah, so I left school quite early, probably 16. Uh, Didn't have any qualifications wasn't in the least bothered about having any qualifications and then I, t- I spent a year basically dossing doing nothing and then i just attempted to do some more schooling at a local college and met my good friend ben wilson who's an amazing designer and is now designing massive things but back in the day he was making bikes and mm. stuff and his he has two other brothers oscar and he's an amazing designer too, more graphic led. And then his other brother, Luke, is a, a jungle drum and bass producer called Utah Jazz. And he was quite early out making music. Um, and we it basically, how do you, uh, you're going to edit this, right? <laughs> <laughs> Depends how good the story is. Yeah, man, yeah, it? yeah. No, it's not, it's not that it won't be good. It's just how to... You gave him a computer. Yeah, you said. I, I, did, I mean, I don't want to take credit for any of that. He was no. making music already. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he was doing really well making music with Alex Reese. And he borrowed a computer from me. And I think that was a good uh, move for him because he started making individual music by himself. And now he's gone forth and is amazing, really respected producer, signed records, The V. Yeah. All, all these massive labels. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's so good to see all these people. Totally. going forth and like i say they're all part of a thread and a theme that kind of develops and it takes you on your life path um but mm. at that point while i was in in college with ben mm. again not really doing much with my education just more smoking weed in the park and 
uh, at that point, I joined a radio station, uh, a pirate station called Cool FM, and they'd only just started. This is back in 92. Mm-hmm. So very early days of hardcore jungle, drum and bass. Drum and bass hadn't even been invented yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, at that point, I was 16. So that was my life. Do you know what I mean? That was me. That was buying records, going raving, literally going from the rave, 6 a.m., go to the radio station, do a set, go home, sleep a bit, do it again, you know, as you do. I mean, just the most golden couple of years of madness, absolute Mm. craziness, which reinforced more friendships, you know, friends I already had, made new friends, made friends from the radio station that I still talk to now, still making music, Uh, you know, and it really, like, that was 92. Call FM is still going, do you know what I mean? And yeah, that's yeah. something to say for a pirate radio station. That's, um, that's a testament to it, yeah, totally. And just a testament to the music, you know. And, I, I you know, I love all music. There's there's rarely music that I would say I really hate. And if I think that's even too strong. It's just music you don't like, you know yeah. what I mean? There's yeah. no such thing as bad music because I yeah. know what effort goes into it. And I love all genres, but there is a special place in my heart for jungle. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think that, you know, if you break that music genre down, it is very, someone described it really well the other day as a gumbo, you know, it's a mixing pot. Mm-hmm. I know most music's professed to be that, but I think it's very diverse and it took influences from everywhere. Yeah. And it's London born and bred, you know, totally. it's very proud to be part of that scene that was mutating. I mean, it's, you know, this is a whole other podcast talking about the mutation of music. Yeah, totally. But if yeah. you if you skim over it, you know, from '88, Acid House, Summer of Love, and then you sort of jump into 1990, you have four four, and people are starting to put breakbeats on the top, you know, and then by '91, you've got the bass lines and you've got the samples coming in, and you have the formation of Jungle. Do you know what I mean? And then it's mm. split again, and like mm, I say, that's mm. a whole other podcast. But yeah. it was an amazing. I, I do. I am gutted that I wasn't there for the Summer of Love, the 88 Acid House explosion, because that does look amazing. But at the same time, I feel very lucky to be have jumped on the bus at like 1990 onwards. Yeah. Because that was a massively formative time. And I take, in making music now to this day, I still take the DNA of those early records and try and inject some of that into contemporary, even film music or advertising. Mm-hmm. You hear a lot of it appearing now mm, mm. in adverts because i think you know i'm 45 now was obviously 16 in 1991 or whatever it was mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people have now grown up through that music genre gone away from it and then come back and now there's a massive resurgence in um sort of just golden retro mania of this old rave 90s scene and you just see it everywhere now yeah right i mean like you know the 80s had a comeback now the 90s are having a fashion comeback. fashion is cyclical yeah for sure yeah, yeah. and i think you sit I, I i'm sitting at home with my kids watching tv or i don't only watch tv but when you see an advert on youtube or whatever you mm. um and you see all these influences coming through bit the fashion the music and everything and it is it's just a note it's interesting to see do you know what i mean and it is funny because my kids are five and 12 no sorry seven and 12 yeah sorry man (laughs) (laughs) uh but they both by default on their ipads i was just like i'll just stuff it full of music and they have literally grown up listening to that music and love it 
So it's again testament to that music. Um and yeah, I don't really want to harp on too much about the golden old days and whatnot because it's a bit boring, but it definitely does have oh, and mate. still has a massive influence on what I do. Profound, yeah. And mate. I think, you know, going back to where stuff started from, I think if you think about the DNA of DJing, mm -hmm. which I was fascinated by and mm -hmm. just immersed in, like mm -hmm. it, it was my life, do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Carrying record bags. Blagging your way onto DJ, you know, onto sound systems, parties, raves, what have you, doing the radio station relentlessly, you know, I just wouldn't have the energy for it now. Yeah. But what it taught me was timing and uh, structure, which you can apply to editing or music composition. Mm -hmm. So if you think of bars and beats and mixing and timing, all that sort of technical jargon, you know, you can apply that to the rhythm of editing and filmmaking. Storytelling, isn't it? It is totally storytelling. And then what the mad thing with DJing is you have all this kind of hypothesis and, you know, theory, but then you're in a sweaty rave with a shonky sound system and people on drugs and nutters and shit going down, you know what I mean? And it's mm. like... You have to deal with that. There's another part of your brain that has to deal with the madness and try and decode that and stay on point to play the music. Do you mm. know what I mean? So mm. it's like a baptism of fire. And I honestly, and it teaches you to uh, go forth and you have to take a stand. It's not going to come to you. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's a very cutthroat, crowded market, let's say. Do you know what I mean? So if you want to play, you have to go forth, put, stake your claim and kind of big yourself up a bit and hustle, you know what I mean? And I think that was quite a good early lesson was being able to uh, present yourself in a way that was interesting or not even that. It's just like <laughs> barge your way to the front and have a go in the nicest possible way. Totally, do you know what I mean? Totally, totally. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot was learnt to surmise that kind of DNA of what and why I do what I do. Parents obviously have a massive influence. Dad, filmmaker, mum, artistic. And then using the sort of backbone of music and that whole scene, um, I've pretty quickly realised that it wasn't going to be a, a money-making exercise DJing. I don't think I've ever been paid to DJ. Really? No. And wow. I've DJed loads. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah, 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 it's yeah. not... It, but that's a testament to how much fun DJing totally. is because it's totally. like why if, if if you don't get paid and you're still doing it 25 years later yeah. and it's mad effort to do it it's never oh just, I mean you can play some tunes at home and whatnot do you yeah. know what I mean yeah but yeah like, of course actually, but there's so much more that goes into it than being there on that night and all yeah the rest of it. but yeah. then once you're in that mode and you're doing it it's like being in a bloody Led Zeppelin or something do you know what I mean it's totally, like yeah. I, I've never been in a band or played an instrument but I can imagine it's not far off no it's that state of flow isn't it it's that nirvana yeah and it is that you, you that you don't you're, you're really right about that state of flow because you're in and I was talking to someone else about this the other day I was talking to a he's not a Buddhist monk but he's a I was interviewing him and he's basically a zen master and he was talking about being in the moment and focused and i was like well the only thing i can really compare that to is djing because like i say you've got all these anomalies of mad people uh technical issues 
but then you've got this beautiful music and you're, it's a bit like a chess game. You kind mm-hmm. of think, well, I think in five tunes down the line, do you know what I mean? And you're in the mix and you've got to guard that mix like a baby. You can't let it slip. You know, there's, I've got nothing wrong, no issue with sync or anything like that. You know what I mean? But I like to mix on, and I'm not a vinyl purist. Like I use Serato, but I use Dex or I use a CDJ. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, the ravers don't care. Horses for courses, yeah, exactly. Like, it's nice. Part. It's an aesthetic, and we'll talk a bit, little bit about this later. Yeah. You know, it's an aesthetic for a bygone era, essentially, because nowadays kids don't give a shit. What, well, a big what resurgence in vinyl hunting, like yeah, it, definitely. It's... And I'm not writing off vinyl. I have thousands of records. Do yeah. you know what I mean, and I've spent more money than I care to even imagine on vinyl. Yeah, and yeah. I don't so much anymore. But and I'm not knocking vinyl. I'm just saying I don't think there's. I think the music's important, not the format. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah of course. Um, yeah. But that said, I like the aesthetic of a turntable. So I do take it to installations and festivals, you know, and it's way more of a hassle than a CDJ or a controller. Mm. So, yeah, I sort of contradicting myself a little bit there. But, um, and I'm happy for people to come play vinyl in our in our shack. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just not like a snobbery thing. It's not like, oh, you can't be admitted because you're not playing vinyl. It's like, no, play whatever you like. The music's good. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned the shack there, which we'll certainly dig into because I feel it comes a little bit down the trail. I'm a very sporadic all mm. over the shop, but we'll follow your loose chronology. So your people often say like, oh, back in the day, this and that, like, and you're aware of scenes, probably post hoc. Were you aware that you were in the middle of something when you were doing your pirate radio days? Did you feel part of like, uh, you know, like a, a movement or was it, was it, you were just, you were putting one foot in front of the other and you, this was, you lived and breathed it, but you didn't realize. Or I think know. a bit of both, if I'm honest. I mean, yeah. cause you know, I listen to lots of podcasts with people talking about it and you know, I'm by no means a big name DJ or anything like that, you know, mm. but I listen to lots of podcasts of big names that are, and it's, I don't know. I, I, I remember at the time it's two things. It felt completely natural and normal. Um, as in I, none of it felt alien to me and I'm not some street kid. Do you know what I mean? But I was in a street culture, but it was a very welcoming place. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. you didn't have to be a ghetto kid to, to be, you know, involved. Um, it, yeah, I never felt like an alien or anything there. But at the same time, I knew that I could. It felt really, it often felt dangerous, but that was that was what was good about it. Do you know what I mean? Mm, it was mm. like it was so DIY, and it felt. Yeah, I guess it did definitely feel like a movement, and it felt quite. I don't know if I was looking in at it now. If mm. the same scene was happening now, and I was looking in at it, and I do kind of because I DJ at festivals, and the festival crowd are young. And I see other parties going on. I'm like, that looks, I mean, it's the same DNA. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. it's just a different music and different type of person. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a hard one to explain. I think um, I, at the time, could imagine people just couldn't imagine hell on earth. If I, if, if I brought them and transported them into a rave in 1991 or what have you, yeah. and we're all, you know, having the time of our lives, I did stand there a couple of times and think there's a few people I could transport here and they would literally die on the spot because they think they'd entered hell. Yeah. 
And that to me did feel quite special because I thought, yeah, you are part of a club for sure. You're in a thing, but it was, it was an effortless club. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't, yeah. you were it wasn't try hard. It wasn't like under a lot of, I mean, I haven't been to a club for a year because of the pandemic or what yeah. have you, but I film a lot of events, you know, and a lot of those events are in clubs and I find those clubs nauseous, but not for that reason. Like if I went in and the, it was so nosebleed and just disgraceful music. I'd I'd quite like that, even though I don't like it, sort of thing, mm -hmm. because it's got teeth. But other clubs, where a lot of the time I film, where they want a videographer, by default the club is full of people that are just trying to get in the club so they can be seen in the club. Mm -hmm. I know that's a bit of a cliche and fair play, man. Everyone likes to go out and have a good time. I guess I'm just more into the music than the scene. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, Yours was more birds of a feather kind of coming together. Yeah, but it, at the, the same time, it wasn't it. like, you know, if grandma or rockabilly wanted to come in the rave, no one's going to stop them. Exactly. No one's going to have a, have a go at them. Everyone, it's all inclusive. Yeah. It just, I don't think it set out to be rebellious music. Maybe it did. I don't know, but it didn't feel rebellious. It just felt normal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you, you only got to look at the press at the time or anyone who didn't understand the scene looking in on it and just going, what the Jesus is going on in there, man? That's just devil music, you know what I mean? And That, I was, get, the, that was the, the general <clears throat> consensus for people that weren't in, that were outside looking in? I don't know because I didn't, if I'm honest, I didn't really you were inside, care you? or yeah, look. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I did chat to my dad about it at the time and looking back, he was definitely... Yeah, what are your parents' thoughts on it? Well, I mean, they're they're very liberal. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I used to come in saucer-eyed at six in the morning, and they'd be like, "Oh, you're up late again." You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah I'm just off to the radio station, and they were supportive of it all. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know if I would be that liberal Take with some, my kids. Yeah, serious confidence. Yeah, yeah but the, they the were cool. Plan. Do you know what I mean? And um, and I think he he definitely looked in it. He, you know, because he'd see glimpses of the scene and would be like, oh my God, that's, you know, he's into his drumming and everything. And obviously drum and bass and jungle is this frenetic drum patterns. Yeah. And he'd hear it blasting through the wall and sometimes come in and go, what, that sounds amazing. What's going on there? You know, so he's, he's probably a bad example of an older person looking in the scene because he was, he was really yeah, into yeah, it. Of course, yeah. He was like, this looks really interesting. You know, totally. this is like the punk of the nineties. You know, totally, it really yeah. was, it was, it was punk. It was nuts. It was mental listening back to the tunes now. Do you know what I mean? Um, but whether I think the kind of, you know, the sun and the press and everything had a heyday in 88, 89 for the summer of love, Acid House, you know, and they just sort of went from selling Acid House T-shirts to Acid House, Hell House, you know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. just switched on a dime and yeah. Margaret Thatcher was like trying to outlaw stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I think they sort of had their heyday now. I think it went a bit more underground because I think it was underground and exploded, then went underneath again a little bit in the early 90s. And I don't know, man. It didn't really... I didn't really get any grief for being involved in the scene, put it that way, do you know what I mean? Yeah. People are just, oh, crazy kids having a good time, do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, and, yeah. So you went along like that, and that was from, what we're we talking, 16, the age of 16? Yeah, to... from like good... Well, I got my first set of decks in 1990, I think. And before that was sort of attempting to mix on a, on a Walkman. On a Walkman? Plugged yes, into mate. a budget mixer and a shonky turntable with no pitch control. But, wow. you know, so obviously looking back, you're like, well, what hope have you got there? But I was just trying to 
work out the blending of two musical sources, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it was totally wrong. But then saved and saved and saved and saved. And I remember going to Tottenham Court Road and um, obviously young, had no car. So had to go and buy and saved up for ages and bought a mixer of which I still, still got. It's on the door there. I angle grinded it in half. My oh, first mixer. Oh, sick. Amazing. And it's now the door, well, handle, the to my, the door, handle. Yeah, the door handle to my studio. So I had to carry that and one turntable on the tube home uh just literally dying like it was so heavy and then got it home and it was just like a nirvana moment like just you could hear the angels singing like you know there is nothing like a technics turntable again contradicting myself i mean i am a definite audio nerd you know what i mean like without a doubt i've probably got 20 pairs of speakers so Mm -hmm. it's um but there's nothing like that. You know, I was like, oh my God, this is the tool. I found my tool, you know, because school didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So I guess inadvertently was looking for something that I could connect to mm-hmm. and really understand and be good at. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because um, I hadn't really found my niche. So as soon as I had that and a mixer and then I saved up and went and bought the other turntable, it very quickly clicked and was buying records and managing to mix them fairly well. And like, I listen back to tapes now that I made then, and they're not that bad. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. they're, they're obviously a little shaky, but I was having a little draw through your, um, your <laughs> FM archive. Yeah. Well, by that point I was pretty on point. <clears throat> do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, you, to be fair, you had to be fairly all right to get on there. You couldn't get on there and clang. Otherwise you get laughed at. Yeah. And that's a real pressure, you know, like that's, that was probably the first test of two years worth of solid, bedroom practicing yeah i mean so the big day comes it was a total fluke meeting the boss of it was i met eastman and smurf um totally randomly near my house at a friend's house who was making really uh debatable house music Mm -hmm. and i think those two guys eastman and smurf had come in to try and make an early jungle tune or hardcore tune and this was that would because their station started in 91 and i met them in the very sort of january 92 so it'd only been on air a couple of months do you know what i mean and they mm-hmm. were like oh we've got this station and already russia fm was already going and successful that was the station to get on but i didn't know anyone from there and they were like oh yeah oh you play music wicked yeah send us a tape so i sent them a tape and they were like yeah cool come and come and have a set um they were like five till seven on a friday morning i was like what okay all right if that's all it's going yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) i'll take that and uh again had no car so i had to get a bus with all my or get a train to manor house with all my records big old crate because i didn't quite know what to play this is the vinyl trade-off isn't it yeah and then get another two buses into hackney and at that time hackney was not a hipster land that was it was dangerous out there yeah like you know i'd get to the station and people had been knifed or not knifed but you know mugged at knife point Mm, for mm. their records and so all part of the fun do you yeah, know what I mean yeah. and uh you run the gauntlet and make it to the studio that's yeah, victory number well, that's one the thing, cause I had to you know the last bus was at midnight so I, my set wasn't until five in the morning so I had to get there um and then basically wait smoke what, so what? you would get you get the midnight bus you'd be there like three hours in advance five hours in advance what? Yeah. yeah so I had to Jeez. sit there basically getting baked with all the other DJs in this tiny flat yeah and by the time 5 five a.m. rolls around, it's basically seeing double. And yeah. then it's like, right, your turn, step up. Just try and mix, you know, the hardest music genre in the world to mix. Yeah, I mean, weirdly, I find Jungle really easy to mix. Yeah. It's, um, 
I don't know. That's another story as well. But yeah. in any case, but that night I did meet one of my best friends, um, Paul Simmons. Yeah. He, uh, he was DJing on the, on the station as well under the alias of phase three. And he <laughs> makes me laugh every time I think about it. And it just, it, I, cause it was hard, you know, cause I'd walked into this flat. They all, there was obviously a camaraderie. Do you know what I mean? Of course. And yeah. You've like, got like, oh, the outsider. You've got prove yourself. Yeah. Like, who's this next new, turn? Who's, who's this guy? Who's this kid? Yeah. You know what I mean, cause I was probably 16 at the time. Like, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, totally. um, but yeah, got chatting to Paul straight away and we've been friends ever since he's now living in Germany. But, um, and making amazing techno music, you know, which was his background, but he was into jungle drum and bass at that time. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, all the night through, do the set, and that forged it, I guess. Do you know what I mean? That was the kind of seal of approval from that point. It didn't suddenly, <laughs> like you know, like what a lot of people imagine, it didn't suddenly turn to superstar status. It's, no, yeah, not. back on the bus, go home, sleep, and do it again the next day. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. Um, I guess that was a seminal point as in you had to prove yourself, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And no one else mm -hmm. is going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And everyone's looking at you. Mm -hmm. There's pressure. You can't muck it up. You're live on air and you have to talk on a mic, which I'm not a big fan of. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that was definitely a huge moment, a milestone. For sure. And um, then when you, when you had that first show and, Presumably it went well. You were off back. Yeah, 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 definitely. I, I did it for another year or two after that. Incredible. So, yeah. What was going through your mind? Like, was there was there like an end outcome in mind? Or was like, this is, I've reached the zenith. I just want to do this forever. It definitely or wasn't the zenith. It was definitely, it definitely felt good as in, I was like, oh, well, that two years of paying off. And, it, you know, you do, it's nice to have some sort of affirmation that yeah, you, what you've been doing means something and is actually decent yeah you know yeah i mean so i i i'm guessing that they wouldn't have minced their words if you were shit do you know what i mean so it definitely confirmed something and that point i was like oh, okay we'll just keep doing it so at that point i was still at college yeah still at college what were you doing at college though i well the only thing i passed at school was woodwork i was gonna say yeah i'm not surprised yeah around the studio. That, that was that was i really loved doing that and i've still got the piece i did for gcse what um, did you do i made a box of toys for kids sick yeah um so i went back to college and did a b-tech in i guess it was just lip service i was just like look i kind of have to have a few qualifications mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. just so i think i did mass english b-tech and then did my design and technology course was where I met Ben Wilson. He was in the same class. So oh. that was that, the one good thing that came out of that was meeting Ben. Yeah. But again, got booted out of there after a year because they were like, look, mate, why are you here? Do you know what I mean? Just I'm, go I'm, do something else. Like, don't waste our time. And I was couldn't argue with that. So I was mm -hmm. like, right, yeah, DJ, going to be a DJ. What did your parents say to that? Like, obviously... Again, they were fairly cool. I mean, like, I... I don't know that I'd be that cool, you know what I mean? But they yeah. were like, okay. Um, I guess maybe they thought school's not for you and it's just not going to work. Go forth and do something creative and see how that pans out, which is a very nice place to be. I mean, obviously I'm still living at home and kind of there's no pressure from that angle. 16, 17, I can just still sort of form some sort of um, job skill, mm -hmm. hopefully, whilst also being out most of the night raving and DJing. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they can see the passion for that side. Yeah. Going through, so and maybe I think, it's a case yeah, of trusting definitely. the plan and thinking that if he follows that, 
then yeah who knows yeah no, so I, I kept doing that and then i got a job uh randomly in west london working at a tv station so it's a bit of a complicated setup it was a it's a TV station set up by Challenge Annika to teach children how to make kids. Uh, Annika Rice? Yeah, to make TV. I worked TV. with her, jokes. Yeah. I did Celebrity Hunted. And oh, there she you was, go. I was attached to her. Yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. actually meet her, but she, oh, I came yeah, in oh. after. She Basically, one of her challenges was like, take this old factory and turn yeah, it into yeah, a TV yeah, station. Yeah, have a whip around, get some money. Yeah, yeah exactly. Usual, so yeah. she did that and it was kind of doing its thing. And then my dad knew the lady that was running it and was like, oh, can he can Ireland come in and be the tea boy basically do you know what I mean so yeah. well, at the bottom now we're here yeah so I went in there and didn't really know what to expect um and this age I was probably 18 something like that and went there and made the tea basically and then make a good cup of tea I think so well you tell me very nice cup of tea guys very <laughs> nice. and their editor left basically after about four days of me being there and, and the boss was like all right you do it you know about music and stuff computers you do it i was like do what edit to be the editor oh the oh yeah yeah. so in a nutshell the kids make tv these wacky tv shows sure and then they all these tapes because in the back in the day it was tapes came upstairs and then the editor had to form some sort of string some sort of coherent something or other together and then we had this slot one hour a week on cable tv that had to be one hour a week yeah that's a lot of of time that's a lot of content um so essentially i had three days with this editor he was like right this is how you edit I was like, okay. Wow. I mean, I had sort of seen edit suites and stuff because of my dad and yeah. whatnot, but never done it. Do you know what I mean? No, 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 no. Um, but now looking back, I was like, well, to be fair, this was probably a real blessing, you know, because it was again like the the uh the discipline of starting out mixing vinyl and using decks and everything, mm-hmm. the discipline of editing with tape. Mm-hmm. And a three machine pneumatic suite, which for anyone under the age of 25 won't know what that is. You know, it's big old clunky tapes, you know, so there's no, there's no nonlinear editing. It's not hard disk based. It's all tape. So if you make an edit, you have to record one tape to another, go back, rewind the tape, record. I mean, it's long. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just ridiculously long. Yeah. And, um, you, but doing that is a bit like film, uh, film editing, like celluloid editing. Like you physically have to think, oh, I really want to make this cut. It's not about, hey, just chuck it in Premiere and muck around for a bit. Totally, no, you've yeah. got to commit and it yeah. takes you days to create a sequence. Does that make you more like the same way with photography, you know, film versus digital? It makes you so much more... Selective. questioning and selective like yeah, don't is just this spray and the frame pray. that's worth it and yeah. is this the cut that's worth it yeah totally i think two things turned me into a decent editor one was learning that process mm. because you know not long after that hard disk based you know avid was a thing but it was way too expensive with this little station to have yeah so then cheaper non-linear editors came out and um that crossed with picking up a camera there and filming and going out and shooting to edit really helped form my basis of don't spray and pray shoot what you need get a few bits more than you need you know what i mean but essentially don't 
slaughter your editor by dumping five hours worth of footage on him. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I suppose there's a cost attached to film as well. Yeah, well, we weren't shooting film. We were shooting like high eight, so oh, it's all okay, video. Yeah. Um, so that didn't really stop people shooting hours. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the edit process did. You know, if you need something done quick, you basically, the less footage you have, the quicker you're going to get mm -hmm. it, you know. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I still use that recipe of shoot what you need and then a few bits more, you know, nothing, don't go nuts with it, man. It's not, yeah. but sometimes you can't do that because you just need to be spraying and praying. I was going to say, so the key to shooting what you need is perhaps in the prep? Yeah, and I think it's just having an eye for knowing, that like, you know, me and you do lots of shoots and we're on set all day. Yeah. And if we were recording all day, we'd come home with terabytes of footage, yeah. you know, and it's like, it's knowing when to choose your moment. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes you miss it and it's annoying, but you, you use your intuition and you tune in and you kind of, um, you learn when to press record, mm. you know, mm. and, and when not to. Um, that would be a huge feature that we'll get into in a minute about your time on Gumball. Yeah. Like, cause yeah. I can only imagine that, the... that redefined how to shoot for me. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, but one last thing on that TV yeah, station, yeah, yeah. I met another one of my very best friends called Luke Hyams and he is a super dude and his sister, Izzy, uh, were both kids. It, this, this will make you laugh. So I'm 18, mm -hmm. long hair, weed smoker. Yeah. First job, being thrown into this edit position. And then Luke and Izzy come on. They're slightly younger. So Luke was probably 16, 15, 16. Yeah. Wayward kid being thrown out of loads of schools. And the whole point of this center was that wayward kids would come here and learn a craft, you know? Yeah, so nice. it was brilliant. You know, it was such a good thing. I still see some of the kids now. And we had a reunion the other day, and a lot of them are in media now. And they were, came from really broken homes, you know, poor families whatnot in west london would never have had the chance if it wasn't for this place it was it really was amazing and we need more stuff like that and mm -hmm. that's another story mm -hmm. um so luke and izzy and luke luke was more naughty than izzy i'll be honest but <laughs> like, <laughs> he came as a naughty kid that had been booted out of school around west london do you know what i mean and we instantly got on and he was this naughty little kid that was great in front of a camera and used to go out and get these mad wacky little skits on video around portobello road and we went on loads of filming trips you know and stuff like that and we we've stayed mates ever since i'm the godfather of his kids now oh, cool. and he is now the um head of entertainment at youtube huge so it, it, you know, it goes to show if you nurture you, it doesn't matter where you're from what you do if you've got it in you you will go forth and do it it's just the opportunity and i fully understand that I was so lucky to be put in that position and grow up in a supportive family and whatnot. And not everyone has that opportunity. You know, sure. like I, there's not a day go past that I don't uh, sort of really feel humble about. I work hard and I have had lots of opportunities, but you have to work hard to sustain that, you know. Um, but there's no dispute in that I've had a, a good set of opportunities to get me to where i'm going now 100 percent, man yeah 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 well it's, life is a culmination of all these little mm. factors and the environments we're in and the people yeah. we meet and i think if you get those opportunities it's important to spread the love you yeah know, and pay it forward put yeah. it put it out to other people that wouldn't normally have the chance and that place was a great example of that it's unfortunately not no longer in existence but it's funny having that reunion, you know, it was a 20 years later reunion of all the kids that were there mm. and they were like, oh man, you're a brilliant teacher. I was like, mate, I was a kid yeah. 
I did not know what I was doing. I wasn't teaching, but what we had was I was relatable to them. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I wasn't like some stuffy old teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it was a case of learning how to use a camera, I'd be like, all right, kids, don't know how this works, but let's work it out. You know what I mean? Let's have a look. Um, but they've all gone forth and they're really, you know, a lot of them are lovely human beings, if not really successful in a in a career in media that just wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for that place. So Yeah. Yeah. We get that place in. That's yeah. awesome. That was YCTV and that was in Bowlby Road. Uh, yeah, great place. Need more of that. I think that was hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. And so this period came to an end. How, what happened? Uh, what happened there? I was there for about two. Oh, no, no, I was there longer. But I can't actually remember. I was there about two, three, four years. Yeah. Big shout out to Amy Stamp as well. She's another great friend of mine, and she was working there. I tell you what, a key moment there was so. Yeah. There's another great guy that worked there, Keba Jabang, and he is a force of nature, amazing, amazing dude. And he, one day he came, because we'd be teaching the kids, but obviously we have all this equipment as well. So on the weekends, it was totally fine for us to go and shoot stuff ourselves and whatnot. At that point, I wasn't a filmer, do you know what I mean? I wasn't into shooting and mm -hmm. stuff. But Keba came in one day and he was like, oh, I've, I've met up with this band, London Posse, Rodney P., and um they want a music video i was like oh cool okay um they got no money big surprise i think they had like 50 quid or something you know what i mean so we just took the equipment and shot with rodney and bionic and i don't know if you know london posse but they're sort of seminal early 90s hip-hop mm. you know they they kind of led the charge on british hip-hop like you know along with other people like black twang and whatnot mm -hmm. but rodney p still still going now do you know what i mean i'm actually doing a festival with him in a couple of months oh really um so this was 96 i think <clears throat> and then me keba and a really nice girl called sveva who is a camera woman shot this video just with the guys around dalston kingsland london it was just a run and gun video yeah. you know yeah 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 and you can watch it on youtube it's called style um and that that got done and that didn't really do massive business, but it definitely opened my eyes to shooting a music video. And there's a funny story with that as well. So we're shooting around town and at the time there's no CD burners or anything. So we had to play back for the lip sync was from tape. Yeah. So we had this like little stereo, you know, with, you know, shonky little stereo with a tape in for the playback and the batteries were not up to spec really. And it was playing back slightly slow <laughs> so he was lip syncing to it yeah. and then when I got back in the edit I basically like, oh. get about two seconds of sync and then it would fall out of sync oh. so it that was another lesson in mother you know necessity is the mother of all invention it's like it, how yeah. do you get around that what do you do well you basically just don't stay on one take for very long mm -hmm. or cut away to something and cut back and you can shift the edit along a little bit. Enter quick edit cuts and that kind yeah, of Yeah, which I didn't really want to do because that was just a, I find that a bit of a get out, yeah, get out too easy card. You know, cool, it's cool. like, you know, whatever. So it, it was a funny little thing that happened. So that. So that, that was your first experience with the camera in hand. When no, you I didn't shoot that. Oh, didn't shoot show that. Sorry, yeah. um, <clears throat> but it kind of opened my eyes to music video production mm. um also around that sort of time via that place ycTV mm -hmm. another lady very nice lady called Siobhan there was like oh you can come and do a bit of work at my company 
I was like, oh, cool. What do you do? She was like, oh, I run this company called Limelight, which I'd not heard of. Yeah, yeah. Turns out her brother, Steve Barron, who is an amazing filmmaker, and yeah. her, and made these seminal music videos like Billy Jean, uh, Aha, Take On Me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and just I was like, like oh, oh those guys, oh, yeah. right. Okay, you lot of Donnies. Um, so I did running there, Huge. and that opened my eyes to kind of... Uh, guess sort of adverts and stuff like that and how that whole world worked and to be fair it's taken me it has literally taken me 20 years to work out how the whole agency production company thing works like I know that sounds stupid no no not um, at but all I've been no, in advertising it's... for 20 years and it's taken me this long to go oh that's what everyone does because I've grown up with this very DIY ethic. You know, my dad is a musician, a director, um, you know, edits, shoots, stills photographer. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with that thinking, oh, well, don't you just do everything? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I the same, I shoot, I compose, whatever, you know, do all these different things. So I was always just like, why are there so many people involved in this one thing? Mm. Like, and this is, we're sort of talking mid nineties. So the budgets were still fairly beefy. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And mm -hmm. advertising, I guess it's just, and that model does work. Do you know what I mean? Now I understand it. I'm like, yeah. okay, the production company makes it happen. Creative agency comes up with the idea and you've got the client. And I was just like, who's the client? Because to me, the client is everyone because I'm working for everyone. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know. It was just very confusing for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I feel, yeah. you know, I can work either way. I can do one man band or I can just go and do big, big stuff, you know, which involves 50 people and yeah. big agencies. You know what I mean? So, so what were the, what were the biggest things that you gleaned from your time of limelight then? What were you? First day I was there, my feet actually bled from walking so much. I did. Wow, I, that's I, serious I wore, I wore Timberlands and stupidly. What, like steel toe cat ones? Nah, just like the sort of nineties hip hop ones. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah like, good. I mean, I wasn't for a little bit of a yeah, like, was but planning not... on walking miles upon miles. Um, <laughs> but I definitely got home and my socks were red with blood. Yeah. Jeez. So um, I learned that I guess from there that it's pretty cutthroat and you just have to be relentless to make any mark in that world. Mm -hmm. um, and did that put you off or did that no, just wake you up? You were like, all right. That's what it didn't, this it didn't is the make you want to become a commercials director or no. anything like that. But it definitely, um, I think all of these things are threads. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I still don't really have a plan. Yeah. I just sort of do what I do. And I've settled into a really nice groove in the last sort of five years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm happy with what I've done up to now. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, in the last five years, I've really settled into a nice balance of just the right amount of commercial work to pay the bills, some creative work that feeds your brain. Mm -hmm. And then obviously not in the last year in that, but uh, a nice amount of festivals, mm -hmm. which encompasses woodwork, music, DJing, video installation, the whole thing, you know, and it's fun. Don't get paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's literally, but it's, it's fueled by love. Yeah. Um, but if, and I've got a family, so I've got two kids and a lovely girlfriend about to be wife. Um, so I, man, I feel happy with the balance. It's like this rotor. And I was, I was reading an article the other day, um, in the, in the Atlantic about Charles Ives, who's a composer. Mm -hmm. I don't really know his work that well, but I know my dad really likes him and he's used his 
tracks in a few films and whatnot. But mm. I know he's amazingly rated. Mm -hmm. But it turns out he's also in his life. He was also a uh, legal, like a law. He wrote laws for life insurance. Wow. So, and, and the, the article yeah, was about the symbiosis of the importance of the symbiosis of having two completely opposing vocations or jobs. You know, there's too much focus placed on really honing in and lasering on one, one thing and get that amazingly right and succeed yeah. at that. Yeah. And I read that article and I was like, man, I'm actually feeling quite lucky that my life is that, you know, it's like I had this like merry-go-round of commercial work, creative work, festival, family, and it kind of just keeps going round in a circle, which is great. And I'm really happy with it. <clears throat> Do you know what I mean? It's not, um, I'm never doing one thing too long. Yeah. yeah which yeah, yeah. I think is really important. Right. It's the spice of life. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's I think always... it would drive a lot of people mad. Like yeah. not, not everyone's for that, you know, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. but this whole pandemic and not going to an office, I think has blown all that out of the water and everyone's reevaluating. I mean, the pandemic, you know, in general terms, my work hasn't really changed. I mean, I'm very lucky to still have work, but mm -hmm. it's, it's still sporadic, but I'm used to that. You know, mm -hmm. I've spent 20 years of up and down with work, you know. Um, yeah, of course. I've, I've, I've tangented. I can't remember how we go. No, no, here. you're right. Well, on that note, though, how do you deal um, with the uncertainty of freelance work? Like you say, not everyone's cut out for it. Like, is it is it something that the nature of the beast, you've always been acquainted with it and therefore it hasn't really been a thing? You like that you just... I think it is that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know anything else. Like yeah. I, that, the job at YCTV was the only time I've ever had a payroll job, mm -hmm. and that was twenty, whatever it was, years ago, twenty three yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, from that point on, I just I guess I've been really lucky to always have enough freelance work to keep going, and it's never yeah. got desperate enough that I have to. I mean, it's got close for sure. Do you know what I mean? And I think diversity has helped me, as in. 100%. If I only was a filmer, I wouldn't have enough work. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I get now the majority of my work is filming. Yeah. But when that's not happening, I fill in the gaps with editing. Yeah. I do a ton of editing and I do not so much anymore. I'd love to do more, but that's, it's really hard to make a living out of music. So that kind of keeps your brain fresh, but it doesn't pay any bills. Um, no, but like you say, it's symbiotic. You need one to fuel the other yeah. without the creative inspiration that you'd then take to a commercial aspect. Like mm. I know a guy, Henry Schofield, um, incredible director, and he's done some of the latest Stormzy videos mm. amongst many other Dua Lipa and stuff like that. Incredible Amazing, stuff. Yeah. And then off the back of that, Pepsi got in touch right. and they're like, oh, can you do adverts we kind of want like the stormsy video and yeah, it's, it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. you know he was never he'd never set out for that he was like sure. let's make the sickest thing i can with storms and they did yeah and then it, it kind of feeds the creative of the commercial stuff and then that will give them budget to do the yeah, creative yeah, totally. stuff again so it just goes totally. like that i mean so, it, it is a it is a fragile ecosystem yeah you know i mean as yeah. in it's very fickle i shoot a lot of fashion stuff as you know yeah you know, we shoot fashion stuff together and um yeah, it's very one month to the next. Like, you know, we'll come away from a job going, we've bloody smashed that. That's amazing. That's that's in the bag. We're just going to get another six jobs off the back of that. You never hear from her again. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, it's, totally. Um, 
saturated market that i don't even know if it's that i don't know what it is i've I've given up trying to work out what the reasoning is behind whether you get asked back or not because i'm always friendly always over deliver always deliver a nice product you know i've probably had two times in my whole life that i can count where Mm. there was a it was there was a complete mashup and the project was knackered and client wasn't happy man it's not even that it was just not it was less than satisfactory you know yeah. what i mean so yeah, yeah, yeah. i pride myself on always delivering something nice but i don't think it's that i think it's just people are fickle and you know you, you've just got to be front of mind haven't you you know for your clients and that's why i hate to say it but insta and stuff like that is really important for our job yeah you, know, you, yeah, ha- yeah. you have to keep feeding the beast yeah yeah you know um but yeah it, it's never got to a point it's never got, it hasn't got to a critical point yet. Touch wood. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both of us touching wood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it definitely is shaky, but I don't know that I, if I was, if I was setting out into this world now, especially in the pandemic times, I, I wouldn't know how to start. Yeah. Fine. Like it's been an organic path. That's for sure. Mm, mm, that's mm. my laid back nature has made it that by default. Mm-hmm. I just sort of breeze along do good work and stuff happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I haven't really ever searched it out particularly. I've never sort of had a dream client and hounded them and wanted to work for them. I mean, I've got people I'd like to work for, but yeah. yeah. Last, well, on that note of work, and I know you've uh, got three edits to get on with today, so I'm conscious of being uh, encroaching on your time too much. Like, let's get into what is, is the next big one, at least in my mind, is it Gumball? When does that come around? Gumball is, again, stupid pandemic has obviously yeah. shut that down. Of course. Um, Firstly, for the ignorant, what is Gumball? Gumball 3000 is a friend of mine, Max Cooper, puts on this crackers rally, car rally, where every year it's 3,000 miles of driving. So it's 100 to 200 cars of varying Sick degrees cars. of madness you yeah. know you've got like you'll have like a golf on there but then you'll have a seven million pound ferrari do you know what i mean yeah and um it's a week and we drive three thousand miles and i was always a fan like from afar do you know what i mean i was like mm-hmm. it's been going since 99 and me and max are a similar sort of age and i've got a similar sort of interest in art street culture and whatnot mm-hmm. um he went to st martin's was went into fashion design but that didn't happen so in 99 he started this rally and he's ever since it's just got bigger and bigger and bigger mm. and i think it is like the world's most renowned car rally now do you know what i mean it's the one everyone's sort of heard of so a friend of mine again through luke from ictv um i i think he was doing an edit for max or something i can't remember there was yeah. some random reason he knew him and i was like oh man gumball rally yeah i'm into that what's what's going on there can we can we do it yeah and so for the first couple of years, I didn't actually go on it. I just edited the footage. So he, Max would come back with terabytes of footage, you know, and then he'd be like, right, see you in six months. Can I, <laughs> can I have a film or a six part TV wow. show? And that was all good, you know, and that was fine. It was interesting because I liked it. But, you know, after three years, I was like, Max, what are you saying? I need to come on this, man. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah. And so me and my brother, we, I work a lot with my brother as well. We went, um, First year, where did we go? Again with Luke. I went with me, my brother, and Luke, and another really good friend of mine, Yusuf, who lives in Istanbul now. Yeah. Um, piled into the car, and we drove from 
London to Turkey. Mm-hmm. That was the first one. So, you know, it's it's a pretty crazy route. You know, you go through Europe and then you get into... Follow the Danube eventually. And then yeah, I can't even remember which way like we went. Through, through Albania, Romania, oh, yeah, 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 and Sarajevo, and then you end up in Turkey. Yeah. So, But for that first one... And this was quite a key thing, actually, because to go on it, to justify me being there, he was like, you have to film. Yeah. And at that point, I wasn't really filming at all. See, this and, is the moment where you had to pick yeah, up the camera. Yeah, and at that properly. time, 5Ds, Nikon, uh, Canon 5Ds were, were the big thing. So I was like, all right. I went and bought a 5D and a fisheye, and I basically filmed the entire thing on a fisheye. And then it, about halfway through the rally in, like, Albania or something, the opportunity came up to go in Dirty Sanchez's van with Pritchard and Dayton. And obviously I'd watched their TV show on MTV and everything, you know, and yeah. they're like the sort of English version of Jackass, but even though they're better than Jackass, you know. More um, hardcore in their stuff. Yeah, they're, sure. they're nutters, you know yeah. what I mean? But And I was like, oh, do I want to go? If you've seen the show, you'll know why I was hesitant to go in the van. <laughs> yeah, mate, yeah. That's um, a, yeah, kind of a poison chalice in a way, yeah, isn't it? You're like, yeah, am I ready I, for this? I very quickly learned that they... They they're like don't kill the cameraman because we need the footage. Yeah, so you're, you're so kind you're of protected. safe as long as you got a camera, you you're all right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it turns out they are lovely, lovely lads. Do you know what I mean? Like just the nicest Welsh guys, and um, just there's something about the Welsh that is just super nice. Oh, and, mate, yeah. And they are it. You know what I mean? And they're very clever guys as well. They're like they're not. People think oh they're just these nutters that just set fire to themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do, mm-hmm. but they also understand it has to be filmed and how to film it. And mm-hmm. they've they got a really good knowledge of cameras and edit. You know, they're both great cameramen and, and they're amazing skaters. Um, I've got to talk about Zoot Circus. Oh yeah, was, we'll come we'll, back. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll come back to was that. It Zoot Circus before that. <laughs> yeah, way before. Oh, yeah, wow. two thousand three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so, bank that straight after this. Yeah, yeah. So. I'm obviously an old skateboarder, never any good, but still big love for skateboarding. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? This is nuts. So I'm in a van, got a thousand miles to go. And it's the most gnarly part of the journey. You know, it's Albania, Romania, lovely countries, man. Like I really like, obviously love those places, but mm-hmm. we ended up in some ghettos, man. Like, so it's me, Pritchard and Dayton and some random dude had given us a bottle of homemade moonshine do you know what I mean so we had a driver so we could I mean this stuff man it was like taking acid do you know what I mean like you'd have a drink and you'd see triple and I was like right should we just do some mad shit then and go skating and we found ditches went skating and he was putting fish hooks in his ear and had the strimmer going and like it was blood everywhere and piss. Like it was absolute carnage. <laughs> do you know what I mean? For a thousand miles through the most mad part of Albania. And then you end up in Turkey and there's a big party at the end. So that was my first baptism into actually going on the gumball. Wow. And then I did, I think another five after that. Um, and the last one I went on was London to Japan, which was oh, insane. So obviously that's more than 3000 miles, but the flying doesn't count. Sort I of thing. Yeah, so I all the cars drive to Italy and then all the cars go on a cargo plane and then fly it to Japan. And then there's another five days around Japan. Wicked. So amazing country to drive around. I imagine the road nuts. I mean, I've always wanted to go there. Do you know what I mean? And the thing about doing the gumball is it completely hones your skills as a, because my job on there is to basically do the social media output for the yeah. Gumball's Instagram page. But you were telling me on set that you were like film <clears throat> and then you'd be in the back of a van yeah, editing yeah, yeah. as you were driving. Sure, that's how it goes. So you'd, again, this really reinforces that only shoot what you need. Yeah, Jesus. Because it's funny because I've done it 
well, all together with editing, probably done it 10 years now. And mm. I see the crews turning up with their reds, bags of equipment, tripods. And I'm like, lads, that's all good and well. But by day two, you're just going to be drowning. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I see people just crying. Oh, I need to sleep. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I get it. That was me on the first one, but it's, I already but had you were a, with the Dirty Sanchez boys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think so you had I a bit more of an excuse than that. And yeah. I'd edited three years before, so I knew kind of what to expect. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. basically, travel light, shoot fast. You know, so an average day is probably shoot for an hour of some description because we're in like a Ford. We're not going to be catching up with Lambos and whatnot. Yeah. You know, so yeah. if you want to, you have to leave early so they come past you, meet at the truck stop or what have you, do some donuts bit of madness you've got enough footage for an edit for a mm -hmm. 20 second edit get in the car put the footage straight in don't even take it off the card edit from the card mm. with the thing they got the graphics and the music pre-done yeah export out the best one we did was we flew from where we go uh, it was to america from somewhere i can't it's like stockholm to america or something yeah and so on the plane, <clears throat> they charter a whole plane. So <clears throat> you can do what you like. <clears throat> Smoke, drink, people get naked, running down the steps. You know what I mean? Like it's absolute carnage. It really is as, as mad as you, you'd imagine it to be. Yeah, right. Um, and so we did this edit. Um, I did it. Well, my friend, my good friend, Jeff, who used to do it with me, he went and got everyone at the front of the plane to pretend to swing around so it's like the plane was crashing and yeah. then we went in the captain's thing and got max to fly the plane pretend fly the plane <laughs> made this mad crackers little edit and had it out and uploaded before the plane landed wow. so that was the sort of challenge from that point on was to kind of that immediacy yeah, yeah because what you're dealing with is people just filming stuff on their phone of and going course. yay look at that and it's like a crap version of what you're trying to do i always was trying to strive for quality not yeah, quantity yeah um, so, you know, average turnaround is film, edit, put it out is like two hours, two, three hours, maybe. Do you know what I mean? If you're economical, but like I say, you come back from that and everything else just seems slow. Oh, like imagine, you're yeah. going to a film set and I'm like, it feels like my legs are in toffee. I'm like, right, mm. mate, we should have an edit out. Two hours to set up for one shot. Yeah. Alone, clients yeah. like, oh, we'll expect to see an edit in three weeks. I'm like, mate, I could have that done for you now. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I'm not, I wouldn't say that because yeah, 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 they'll yeah, want yeah. that. You know what yeah, I mean? But yeah. it's like you come back completely razor sharp. Yeah. And just that is an absolute ready for battle. Zero to hero owning yeah. of your yeah, filming and editing skills yeah. there, really, isn't it? Yeah. But then it is nice to sort of <laughs> take some time over certain things. You know what I mean? And like craft, craft edits and shoots in the opposite fashion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that's, yeah, it's like, like you say, it's the 101 of quick storytelling, isn't it? That will teach yeah. you when you're when you necessitate to get something out so quickly, it makes you drop all the fat, just keep. That, yeah. That. Yeah. So, and you know, man, it's not Chaucer, it's yeah. cars driving fast. It's a very visual thing, man. It's <coughs> shots of fancy cars and hot chicks. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's, exactly. it's, you're not breaking the mold. Mm -hmm. It's just got to look nice and be quick basically, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. But the, stepping back quickly to the other uh film that i made yeah in... i was gonna say the the segue i was in the toilet the gumball 3000 with bamajera yeah that was the first one i did Dirty Hawk. that, that yeah. was the same one as the dirty yeah. sanchez lad no no that was the first one i edited oh, okay yeah fine. that was in 2007 
That's enough to get you hooked into yeah, the whole world. All, that was there again. They're all major, major heroes of mine. Totally, you know I mean? totally. Like, that was the <clears throat> that was the funny time. little story. I was um, so Tony Hawk is Tony Hawk. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like he's literally a person magnet. Everywhere you go, there's a hundred people. Yeah, Tony and Hawk's Underground was yeah, my, my game. I mean, man, he he does the, the rally most years. He's really good friends with Max and whatnot. You know. And then one year we end up in Monaco, the, the last stop, and the party's in Monaco. And Max is like, I'll oh, make sure you get some shots of Tony in the club. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So I'm like, yeah, cool, no worries. I mean, I grew up in the 80s watching Bones Brigade videos. Tony Hawk, he was 17 in those videos. Caballero. I was a skater, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they were my heroes. So meeting him, like everyone else, it's like, oh, my God, it's Tony Hawk. So I'm like, oh, yeah. filming him in this club. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> a very exclusive Monaco club. And he's just like, just looks at me and just goes, fuck off, man. <laughs> I was like crushed, <laughs> just crushed by the hawk. Oh, <laughs> yeah. mate! So, <laughs> yeah, fuck off, man. <laughs> but you can just imagine, though, can't you? If you were him, you're like oh, you're yeah, finding yeah, like, this place to let loose or chill, yeah. and you got some lad fanboying with yeah, a camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, like oh. rally's done, man. Fuck off. <laughs> oh god, I got told. I got properly told. Yeah. So, but cut to so that was 2007. Cut to. Back a bit, which I forgot to talk about earlier, was a yeah. film I made in 2003 Whips. called Z uh, Zoot Circus. The cream of the crop of English skaters at the time, right? Yeah. So very, you know, it's a long, long story and I won't take ages to tell it. But essentially, you know, grew up in the 80s watching skate videos and me and my friends were massive fans of skateboard videos and skateboarding culture. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? So in, I don't know how it came about. So my mate Spencer, who I went to school with, before this took a van of skaters uh to amsterdam just for the weekend to have a mad sort of time yeah. smoke weed get high do some skating and mm -hmm. they came back with just one little handy cam's worth of footage and i was like okay well I'll just see what happens i'll edit it together put my you know got some music together and made it all and it came out this banging little two minute promo um and we were like, this is really good, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is fun. And then we entered it into a, a film competition at Westbourne Studios. It was the Kodak one, right? Kodak one, yeah. 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 And it won the first yeah, prize. Huge. And I was like, this is mental. Never won a prize in my life. Do you yeah, know what I mean? And like, there's some really the good other films in there. Do you know what I mean? And mm. like, that really sort of cemented that. And we were like, we should do this bigger. Do you know what I mean? Like, we should really just do the same thing, but bigger. Funded. Well, so Spencer's mate was an investment banker. So <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to know one of those. Yeah. If so we, they're generous with their money. Yeah. Well, we went to them and we had a figure, you know, and it wasn't a lot of money, but it was a lot of money, if yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Do you know what how I mean? many how many sandwiches are we gonna need? How many <laughs> Well, we just thought, what do we want to do? What we'd ideally want to do is go around Europe for three weeks with ten skaters, yeah, some BMXers, some breakdancers, a couple of DJs, some graffiti artists. And that's really important as well. So two of my best mates are really respected graffiti artists, mm. um, Act and Slam. And I've known them since I was a kid, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, they are seminal dudes. And that was really important to integrate that because obviously skateboard is totally linked with graffiti. You know, they just go hand in hand as an urban art form. Uh, so we had graffiti artists, skaters, BMXs, DJs, basically urban culture on a big bus and seven filmers for three weeks and we just thought where are we going to go start in london start in ali pali with that big vista yeah and we just did a big horseshoe around europe basically okay. um and we just hit up all these different towns 
rang in advance you know this is pre not pre-internet but definitely it was like oh let's ring this skate park in france and see yeah. if they'll open for the day and you know whatnot and basically just created this kind of fun three weeks yeah so and it was sick. absolute carnage i mean that's the poster there. yeah yeah i'm looking at this poster. And, um, it's it so we came back and again this was quite a good lesson in editing because i was just handed a coffin full of dv tapes you know, so there's seven filmers filming every day with no particular remit. So they just yeah. film. Yeah. So I'm like, there's hundreds of hours of footage here. And it'd been your coffin. Yeah, man. I mean, it took me, it took me a year to edit, put it that way. Respect. You know, Respect. so I'm obviously sort of trying to make, because I'm not getting paid for this. No, you know, the no, money no, no, just no, about no. paid for us to go around. Because every time, yeah, exactly. You've got to feed yourself. So that goes to the back yeah, again. You do yeah, other work. Exactly. Come back to it. So it, essentially, it took a year to edit. And then we end up with this epic skate film. Uh, made the DVD, did a soundtrack, made stickers. Does my friend Jay Snooks did an amazing job designing all of the graphics and all of the animations. I was going to say, do that artwork yeah, 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 as well? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I still work with him now. He's he's an amazing designer. Yeah, amazing. And he uh, and then we took it to a distribution company and they were like, yeah, yeah, brilliant. And then we ended up selling 22 DVDs. Yeah. You know? And we were like, we thought this was going to be the game changer of skate films. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because at the time, yeah. 90s skate films were a bit stale. Not really. Oh, this was 2000s. But um so that was 2003. So yeah. we're coming up to a 20 year anniversary now. So I'm hoping it's going to serve as a sort of vintage piece. Yeah. 100%. But there, it was a very key thing to do because at the time I was still fairly young. I think I was 25 when we did that. And I remember the first day all the skaters had arrived. Everyone was there. Bus was there about to go. And someone came up and asked me a question. I was like, oh, Alan, uh, what? I can't even remember what the question was. And I was like, and I, I and I was like, okay, let me ask someone what the answer. I was like, there's no one to ask. I'm the person. There's no one to ask. I I need to come up with the answer. You know, there was no crew or nothing. Do you know what I mean? So that was a big kind of wake up. I was like, Jesus, okay, I've got to make this happen alongside with the other director and whatnot. You know, but essentially that was the buck was stopping with me. Yeah, totally. I watched, I was watching some of the videos yesterday morning and um, the first episode, yeah, you're getting on the ferry and someone asked like, the your bus driver's like, any questions? Fucking don't ask me, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that was it. Do you know what I mean? It was, uh, you know, and all these logistics like Google Maps was not on point at that point. No. Do you know what I mean? So it was logistically tough, but at the same time had amazing time proper adventure uh, i mean the again the beginning episode like interviews with all the skaters involved like mm. the 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 common word that kept coming up was like no pressure yeah like totally everyone yeah, yeah. seemed that's to, what we said to all that we wanted you know even though there was pressure on us as directors to make it happen and return our mates money sure you know what i mean which we still haven't done <laughs> Uh, the important thing was for them to be relaxed and just have a good time, essentially. And we were like, look, do what you like. Just skate, give us some good footage. Do you know what I mean? And to this day, like at the time, they were like, oh, yeah, whatever, man. We go on lots of tours. But I now see them 15 years later and they're all like, oh, and that, you know, that was mental. That whole trip was amazing. Like, yeah. we've never done anything like that since. You know totally, what I mean? Totally. I'm sure they've done equally amazing stuff, but as a sort of skate van tour that I think was pretty special. Do you oh, know what I mean? Magical. Like, like you say, yeah. 15 years, testament to it. Like they'll sure. remember that for the rest of their life. Yeah. Yeah. But that was a big, 
learning curve a from a directing point of view and b from a post-production point of view because that was a year a year of toil to get that to because there's just so much footage and just so many ways of cutting it how the hell yeah like they say key to a good edit is good organization you're given seven camera people's worth of footage the thing is we had because it was tape i couldn't edit i couldn't digitize from the master tapes it was too risky yeah so we had to copy every single take. But to do that, you know, we, me and Spencer just went away and went to a remote part of Devon and just locked ourselves away and copied every single tape. But whilst doing that, yeah. made notes, time code notes. Fine. So that's when you started doing that. On yeah. every, oh, oh my God, there's a wicked kickflip in amongst an hours of footage. There's garbage, but then there's just one little kickflip or something in the middle, you know? Yeah. So yeah. That really helped, and that gave us a sort of steer as to, but it's still a ton of footage. You know, I mean, I'm and we're editing on a borrowed crap iMac. You know what I mean? So it's not. Yeah, it was. A, it Mate, was it's exhausting. I don't think any <clears throat> millennial filmmakers will truly be able to understand or empathize no. with. But if you want to watch days. it, it is on YouTube. Yes, Zoot, Zoot Circus, and it's just watch it in order of. I think it's episodic. I can't even remember how I put it up, but it was. Um, it's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, start, it's, start it's on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah get, just start, getting onto start the ferry, the and then it's like yeah, interviews it's very with people long. a year on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it was epically long. But I think the editing style is wicked. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah and it, it was a really great, really um, cool look to it. Yeah, and I had loads of people got involved. I mean, I probably had twenty different musicians. Yeah, it was going to music, music with it as well. Jay did an amazing job on all the animation and everything, and that's him just grafting at home. That initial one where it's like showing you all the landmarks yeah, popping yeah, yeah, up yeah. and stuff. Yeah, very early Cinema 4D stuff, do you know what I mean? Really and, um, what else? Who else got involved? Loads of people got involved. It was a real kind of smorgasbord of people adding skills, do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then for a while, we were in talks for MTV for ages, and they dicked us around, kept us on hold. We, we were like, oh my God, this is going to happen. And then they were like... No, you're all right, lads. And by that time, right. it had kind of gone cold. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was well pissed off with them yeah. and the distribution company. So it just never, it never saw the light of day. But it was a great learning curve, and it's on YouTube if you want to watch it. So. Sick. There you go. The legacy lives on. Twenty yeah. year reunion coming soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe another Europe tour. Yeah. Well, you never know. It'd be like skateboards and walking sticks, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'd still give it a crack, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're good lads, man. Kickflip using a walking stick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, that's mad. Right. Well, I, again, conscious of your time, but I do want to touch that, you know, there's many, many more layers of the onion mm. that is Arlen Figures <laughs> that we will peel off maybe in a future episode. Yeah, Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But um, I want to touch on the shack. And okay. this, yeah, for yeah. me, uh, and hopefully for you as well, it seems like an amalgamation of all your loves. Like you said, you alluded to earlier, you know, you've got your love for carpentry that you've acquired and kept fresh through school. You love of acquiring things mm. that you've maybe got from your mum there. You obviously your love for music, DJing, and creating, and then film, of course, video thrown into yeah, boot. Yeah, so yeah, tell yeah. people what is the shack? Well, it is exactly that. I couldn't really describe it better. It yeah. is an amalgamation, and people do come up to me and go, "This is like, it's like a playbook of you." Do you yeah, know what I mean? like, that's sick. And essentially, you can look online. It's www.shack dot events and there's some pictures which do help describe it but essentially what it is is okay so another very long story mm. short so very very dear friend of mine david chillinglaw who's an amazing artist and i used to manage him mm-hmm. 
he let me think to get this right so i he's obviously a street artist mural artist found object artist and mm -hmm. like we just really get on i've known him for years and whatnot and then one day decided to manage him because mm. he needed help mm. but that managing role turned more into sort of making and finding stuff for him to paint on and then one time we did a show in carnaby street in a store and it required a kind of little boothy thing for his his, his work if you look him up as well uh, his work is very, um, it's objects and paintings and little sewn things. So it needs vessels for it to sit on. I so see, yeah. I built this little mini booth shack thing to go in a, sh in a shop. So it's basically two walls and a corrugated roof, you know, slope. So it looks like a kind of beach shack that you'd find on a beach in Jamaica or something. Mm -hmm. So that sat in there for a while. And then at that time, I was like trying to get in more gigs, sort of live painting because he does big big scale murals with spray paints and whatnot. And so I mailed a bunch of festivals and Latitude was one of them. And they came back and, oh yeah, we love his work. Can you come and do some painting? And we were like, oh yeah, sick. Okay. So we went to Latitude. This was 2013, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and that first year we took a garden shed, which he painted and flanked it with some ply either side. So we could do a big mural, paint the shed. And then inside, we sort of made it look like a sort of shaman's shed. And we had the piano that you saw. Yes, so yes, it's a, yes. It's a big piano that we found in the street. Me and him were walking along the street one day. And we saw this piano. I'm like, oh, we'll just take that. It was knackered. So I yeah. took it home and I gutted it, took it out, took all the guts out, all the iron and everything, and put an iMac in where the center bit is and two speakers. Mm -hmm. So it would actually play videos and plays music and sounds really good because it's a piano, it's acoustic. Yeah. And that sat at the back of the shed as this sort of mad installation thing and i had one record player on top and a bunch of seven inches that people could just come in and play and i think at one time as festivals go this is very uncovid we had I think had 22 people in this tiny little garden shed raving it up and i had to sort of <laughs> take one record off sing put the other one on la, 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 then the other one goes on do you know what I mean? it's like look proper, over there look, look yeah. is that a squirrel oh yeah. next record <laughs> proper selector style but um so that was the first year and then it's sort of year we've done it every year since then and every year it sort of expanded and got a bit bigger and eventually so with that first year we did the shed thing but i'd also at that year later that year had made this shacky thing for the shop so mm -hmm. the next year at the festival we were like oh let's not take a garden shed let's take that shack thing and it wasn't called that at that time it was called the hyper collider nice and um so that became a sort of thing at latitude this shack and i took that year i was like oh you know what i will take a pair of decks only vinyl hadn't mm -hmm. even started using serrata at that point was mm -hmm. still a nerdy purist and um took vinyl and a little pair of speakers do you know what i mean yeah. and but it just went off man like it literally went off i was like this is this is sick and uh it so over the years it just got kind of bigger and louder so another really good friend of mine andy who is an amazing dj drum and bass dj and does a night called launch in the haggerston mm -hmm. um he owns this top flight sound system it's about 10k of really beautiful yamaha speakers and um really beautiful 18 bass bins you know it's just an amazing sound system mm -hmm. it basically sounds like a hi-fi but mm -hmm. it's super loud and uh one year i was like should we tell you that and 
you know, I kind of had to edge it in because they weren't quite, you know, it's turning into a stage, you know, and it's supposed to be an art installation. It's basically turning into a mental rave. Yeah, right. So we took this 10K rig and that year it just absolutely popped off. Do you know what I mean? Like you couldn't get more because what you've got to think is the shack is not that big. It's 20 foot wide and probably five foot deep. It's got the decks in the middle, art on the back wall. And people sort of are congregate in front of it, you know, and the speakers are set of either side of it. Yeah. And it just got bigger and bigger. And to, actually didn't get that big. I've kept it at a size where it's small enough to it be a small, it. yeah, it's <clears throat> two, 300 people max. Mm-hmm. And we did, um, another festival with a, another really good friend, uh, brother and sister, Jody and Jack did an amazing festival, which was much smaller called Espia. And that was a one night festival and Rob the bank who does best of all yeah. came to DJ there and he saw the whole festival and was just like, and the shack and was like, Oh man, you need to bring this to best of all. Really? And that was two weeks later. We were like, yeah, yeah, we'll come. And it was the last best of all on the Isle of Wight. And that, I mean, when we talk about Zeniths, I mean, man, that was so epic that weekend. I can't even tell you like goosebumps. Just thinking about it. Oh my God, I'm just shivering. You know, like it's because we had our own little area in the wooded bit of the Isle of Wight. Yeah. And it was just. One day, and this is probably being stretched a little bit, one day we got up, yeah. opened the shack at 11 in the morning, and I was the only DJ, really, to be honest, out of the whole lot. No one else was really playing tunes, mm. and I played until 3 in the morning. Oh, oh, so oh, oh. I think that's 15 hours. That'll do it. I mean, I was literally weeing in bottles, quickly running off, get some food, come back, you oh. know what I mean? But that just is a testament to the vibe you know what i mean it was nuts from 11 in the morning all the way through till three in the morning and it just went off on this musical arc of like from reggae all the way ending up to drum and bass you know and everything in between Mm. and that's generally how we run the music policy now is we're there from thursday friday saturday sunday thursday's kind of party bangers you know touching on guilty pleasures you know cheesy not cheesy but you know stuff that's going to get a crowd gets going. the people going yeah man friday's house and all that everything to do with house mm-hmm. saturday hardcore and then jungle drum and bass and then sunday's kind of people's choice whatever they want you know and in the daytime you just rock kind of mellow vibes yeah you know? wicked, um, wicked, wicked. so yeah that that is has obviously not happened this last two years we were booked I'd been trying banging on the door for Glasto because I think they'd really love it for so long. And I got so close to the conversation of, okay, cool, bring it. Yeah. And then obviously everything got shut down. Boomtown as well are really interested. And they're like, yeah, we we reckon if we go this year, it will happen. Let's Wicked. see. Wicked. Latitude are saying it's going to happen. So fingers crossed. And then we've got one in September, which is a really nice little festival called Mucky Weekender, which is run by a friend of ours called Barry from no. Dub Pistols. Yeah, Dub Pistols. Wicked. Yeah, it's his it's his festival. Whereabouts is that based? That's in Winchester. Oh, lovely little mm. neighbourhood for that. Yeah, yeah. It's where Blissfields was. Nice. So um, that is going to be good. And I was actually speaking to Barry yesterday. He was like, right, how do we make it bigger? I'll just put another 10K of sound. coming up. I was like, yeah, yeah, you can do that. Because we... It certainly does we, make it bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always come away from festivals thinking, how do we enhance, make it bigger? Mm-hmm, I mean, part mm-hmm. of the beauty is it's small and intimate and people find it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you sort of pull away a branch from the forest and you're like, what is that? And you go in and it's a bit mad, you know, yeah. and it's not a saturated, bloated stage. It's, it's small and intimate. Yeah. But I think you could just extend speakers out and you basically just make the dance floor, yeah. the forest a bit bigger. Um, so yeah, it's funny. I, I mean, I really missed my, I, I enjoy the build and the getting there as much as DJing. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, everything gets jumbled in the van. It's a door hardly closes. You're on the road, off you go. You get there, get everything out. Sound system starts getting built. With, you know, all the stuff starts getting made. It's, like, it in a stupid question, like, in what form is it going in the van? Are we talking planks? Is it, well, it's, is it you've got like modular pieces? Yeah, basically it flat packs. Yeah. So yeah. it's all made up of, it's all basically built from old scaff boards that I stole from my local scaff yard. Nice. Just went one night and just like, I mean, to be fair, it's the ones they're throwing away. Yeah, 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 of course. It's, yeah, it's yeah. not like... Upcycling, recycling, it's all about that these yeah, days. Yeah, they so just the environment. Them. So they're, they're quite happy for me to take them. Yeah. And um, I basically make it out of found things, you know, so that's the structure. Mm-hmm. It's pretty basic and it comes comes apart in flat packs. And yeah. then on the back wall... Uh, I say, you say pretty basic, like you're doing yourself a uh, well, it's, misjustice there. Like you've got... Again, the check out the website, but your the art installations of yeah, yeah, everything that's, that people really can complex, tweak yeah. with is yeah, epic. yeah, it's yeah. basically a sort of museum of curiosities and hi-fi, and I'm, I make videos and put them on screens in the thing at the back. So I, I literally we did a festival in Newcastle, and so this dude he came in, he was like, started staring at the screen, just standing there. Six hours later, mate, I'm not even joking. Do you know what I mean? I went away. Went and had food, went back to the Airbnb, <laughs> came back, he was still standing there, just glued like a moth to, to the video. <laughs> and it does loop, you know, it's like yeah. a 48-minute loop yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, blink and you'll miss the loop kind of thing. Yeah, and you wouldn't like, know. Oh, you wouldn't know. Yeah. You know so, and the, so they're on screens and <clears throat> it's in the DJ booth, there's a screen as well. And I feed that out to a projector, so it projects onto a big screen into the into the trees. Yeah. Which is nice. And that, that's a kind of a beacon. People go, what is that? Yeah, of they course. Is they hear the noise. UFO, yeah. Yeah. So it is, like you say, it's just an amalgamation of all the things I love, but it happens to be all the things most people love. It's raving and having a good, having a good time and seeing interesting stuff. Um, so yeah, hopefully that will all, all pick up again this year. I mean, I don't think there's going to be mad ones this year. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but then there's going to be a boom of people who want to go oh, out. Oh, my God. Um, festivals are just going to go haywire again, yeah. I hope, because it is – festivals are a funny one, man. I, th- I always come away from going, that was amazing. Yeah. You know, it's not for everyone. Not everyone likes being in a field, but mm-hmm. I really think everyone should experience it once right. just because there's so much love, man. It sounds totally. cheesy, but it's just everyone's there for a good time, you know. Totally. It's not – Totally, yeah. And everyone's – it's not just gluttonous good time. Everyone is there and being cool and nice and you experience mad things and hear good yeah. music. You know, it's like, what's yeah. not to like about it? Exactly. As cliche as it sounds, it's, it's kind of like mind opening. I remember my first festival, you know, was like very commercial Reading Festival. But then going on from there, every time there's every shape, size, creed, like mm. absolutely everyone is, sure. is there together. And as you say, bound by music yeah, and yeah, yeah. love and that two days which in 
you know, if you went for like a weekend holiday, you're like, right, it's nine o'clock, get up, let's get to the beach, kids, yeah, we've got to do yeah, this, yeah. we've got to buy a sandwich, we've got to go for a walk, we've got to have fun. <laughs> there, even though it's two days, that time dilates and it feels like two yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, sure. And you're like wallowing, wallowing in your own rubbish in like yeah. campsite. I love it. I, I like getting no mucky, rush. do you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's totally. like have a shower when you get home. Like yeah, it, I like yeah, to say yeah. it's not for everyone. People are like, yeah, oh, yeah, totally. festival, yuck. Yeah. But I mean, even if you go for a day, just oh, dip in and out. But like, there's just, the amount of memories you can make in two days is yeah. silly, isn't it? Like, yeah. when you compare that to, you know, well, like the last six months, for example, obviously sure. in lockdown, like, oh, what's happened? Not much. But then I think the, it's really important for people. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. a primal screen thing. You don't have to go yeah. around the field screaming, but you, it's definitely a release, you know, and that's what totally. none of us have had is any form of release. It's yeah. like, and there is a pressure, but you know, there's a pressure boiling and there's a mental health issue. And I'm not saying festivals are the answer to that, but I think they definitely help. You know, oh, 100%. That's why you have riots because people want to let off steam, you mm. know, mm. and you, it's noisy meditation, is what I call it. You know? Noisy meditation. Yeah. Nice. That's a wicked mantra. Yeah. On that note, I think that's a nice way to wrap it up. Do you have a mantra for life? Uh, I don't have a mantra for life. Just what keeps you ticking these days? Yeah, I'm really bad at sort of summoning one liner things. Oh, mate, I, I don't it's really. Unfair question. Yeah, yeah, I think be nice. Be nice, man. Don't be a dick. Like, life's too short. Uh, just be nice. Why wouldn't you be nice? And a lot of people are not nice, but I just avoid those people. Um, Surround yourself with good people, good yeah. times. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. I think that just happens by default, really, because the people you don't want to associate, you just don't see, you know what I mean? So, yeah, good ones stick. 100%. Keep the good vibes flowing. Very exciting future ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens, man. It's definitely all changed, that's for sure. The cards have kind of been chucked in the air the last year, haven't they? Um, totally, man. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. Well, I couldn't have think uh, of a man more better prepared for it, mate, from your <laughs> life, all of that. Well, thanks for having me, son. Mate, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on board. Until the next one. Wicked. <laughs> if you want to check out Arlen's work or we'll get in touch with him, be sure to check out his Instagram at Arlen Rock, A-R-L-E-N-R-O-K, and his website, arlenfiggis.com. And on the website, there's also photos of his incredible studio that I failed to do justice in describing at the top of the episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one.